This is FD Talks, a brand new podcast series by Funeral Directors Live, where we explore ideas, insights, and solutions for serving families in a rapidly changing marketplace. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of FD Talks. Today, we're going to do part one in a two-part episode where we're going to explore um, hospice care in our community, and we're going to look at... Um, we're going to look at statistics and also some of the things that are just involved with that. And we have here with us Peggy. Peggy, uh, tell us who you are and what you do. Um, I'm Peggy Shepard, and I am a social worker with Hendrick Hospice Care. Uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and that means that um, after I got my master's degree, I went ahead and did uh, clinical hours to be able to be what's called a certified counselor. And uh, I use a lot of those skills while working with my patients at Hendrick Hospice Care. Um, I was actually the first social worker hired by Hendrick back in uh, 1979. <laughs> uh, I was working at Hendrick when I was in college, and um, so I was had the the honor and the challenge of starting social work at the hospital. And you know now it's a huge department of case management with lots of social workers. After, though, after I completed my master's, I came back and I wanted to specialize in oncology. And so as the apartment was growing, I moved into the oncology world. And I worked there for about 20 years. Uh, and that's when we actually started Hospice of Abilene. And so all of us that were working in oncology at that time were very involved with the beginning of hospice. And I actually uh, served on uh, several of their committees, their advisory uh Quality Assurance Board. I worked part-time for them in the 90s while working part-time in the hospital. And then back in 2000, I came back full-time to be a, a clinical patient care social worker, which has been probably the most rewarding job I've had in my career. So at what point did you did you really feel that calling to start doing hospice work? Well, you know, it's interesting because I tell people uh, that a lot of us graduate to hospice, and, and that's a term that, uh, if you're within our circle, you understand that. We have worked uh, in oncology or cardiology, but we've worked a lot with end of life in, in the acute care setting. And there's, there's a point when we see the aspects of end of life, and we feel like we have the tools, the experience, and most of all, the heart and the empathy to move into that and to focus on on quality of life. Uh, and it's it's a different, definite mind switch uh, uh, because we can treat people for a very long time. I mean, even with medical technology, I mean, you can you can keep life sustained, but is it quality of life? And, and our patients started telling me what quality of life was for them. And it wasn't to be on machines. It wasn't to be kept alive artificially. It was to die with dignity, to die on their own terms, and to die in the setting that they wanted to be in. And if you ask most people, do they want to pass in the hospital? The answer was no. And there's appropriate place for hospital for, you know, for people that can... Is, are going to be able to get over that hump. But for people who are facing certain illnesses that when the doctor says, you know, there's not much more we can do, then, you know, that's where hospice steps in 
and we focus on quality. And so, yeah, it was just a natural thing that I wanted to see people live life um, in their own terms. It makes a lot of sense. Can you describe to me, uh, like, what that involves? What, what, do, you, what do you do from, from day to day? Well, uh, I mean, it's a team. And uh, first of all, I think that's important to recognize with hospice is that we're a team. We're not just one person. It, it, it's, it takes a, we call, you know, a village, that's, an, that's an older term, but it's a team. And the team is made up of, of course, the medical director. That is the most important member of our team in the sense they're giving us direction with uh, symptom management. So the goal is symptom management, quality of life, to reduce suffering and not prolong um, um Live artificially, but let the body do what it's going to do naturally. So that physician is directing us. And uh, each team has a nurse, and the nurse is doing that direct care. We bring the care to our patients. Um, and so the nurse is bringing the direct care. The social worker comes in working on all what we all the psychosocial issues that go along with this process of the journey that people didn't say, I want to travel in the sense of nobody says, Oh yes, you know, I'm ready, ready to go. Some people are, but for the most part, you know, it's an unknown, it's an unknown territory. So uh, we we were guides and, and we support emotionally. We, Chaplain supports spiritually, and then the volunteers do those little extra things that the family sometimes just needs help with. So it, it's, a, it's a whole team coming in with a purpose of how can we help you in the most difficult time of your life? How can we help you make plans? How can we uh, make this meaningful? And so we have this, the nurse... Um, you know, focusing on the medical aspect, uh, the social worker on the psychosocial aspect, the chaplain on the spiritual, you know, the volunteer on the helpful things. But we all, there's blurred lines between all of us. Because when we're in a home, uh, we're the person that's there and, and the family's going to ask us, what do you think? What do you, what, what would you do? And so we have to walk them through that that conversation of helping them figure out what they want to do. And so it's, it's a lot of conversation. It's a lot of helping them figure out what is best for them and letting them know that they're not alone. Um, I think the most thing I've, I've heard in all my years in hospice is we take the fear away. You know, there's nothing worse than being scared at 3 o'clock in the morning not knowing what to do. You know, the patient's symptoms may have changed. And, and, and trying to figure out what to do. Well, they don't have to. They just pick up a phone and they call us. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about hospice is taking that burden of what do I do off a loved one's shoulders so that that loved one can love that patient and know that they've got this whole medical team, emotional support team behind them. That sounds like that can be um, pretty taxing on you. <laughs> what, what sorts of things do you guys do for self-help as a team? I think COVID has changed how we once did things as a team. And I think, you know, we're, we're finding new ways to do that. Um, and, um, you know, we uh, used to have the big get-togethers, which, you know, we, we've kind of, those things aren't, you know, what we're doing right now. But we know that um, we're a, we are able to go back into our offices now, and we, we do support each other. I think, uh, I don't know, uh, 
there's so much communication that goes on daily between the nurse and the social worker, the nurse and the chaplain, the social workers and the social worker. So we're doing a lot of phone support right now with each other. Um, when we've, I know when I've had a bad case or a, a case that's, that's touched my soul, mm -hmm. I can pick up the phone and call one of my fellow social workers and tell them how I feel. Uh, because we are feeling people. Um, I, I talk about in the sense of how I feel about hospice is I feel like I journey with souls. You know, I meet a soul, a person, and I carry them with me. And I, you know, when I leave their home, a piece of me is still piece of them is still with me. And when, uh, and when they pass, a piece of them will always remain because we touched each other's lives. And so we have our co-workers that we can share with and talk with. We have, we have a devotional every morning. Uh, uh, we can share prayer requests and stuff. We do that uh, every morning through a conference call. So we have adapted our, our support, but it's very much there. That's... And we do encourage each other. I think one of the first things that we say when we uh, hire somebody is, what do you do for self-care? Uh, for me, I paint. You know, we've got to find something to let some of that out. I, I can just only imagine that's that's got to be incredible to to share those final moments of, of life with someone and their families. It uh, It's sacred. Uh, and that's the best word I can describe it. It is sacred if you're actually present at that last breath. It's a sacred moment. Peggy, do you in your capacity um, have much interaction with funeral homes? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, one of the social workers, uh, one of the things that we assume in our roles, uh, though any any of our team can and talk with families about funeral arrangements and funeral homes, that's usually where they uh, the nurse will say, hey, you know, they need help, or this, the chaplain will say they need, need help. And so we're kind of that first person that really talks to them about uh, funeral arrangements and end-of-life plans. That is actually part of the social worker's psychosocial assessment is, what are your plans? What have you thought about? And starting that conversation. Uh, and even, even though there are in hospice and even though, uh, you know, it's an end-of-life situation, that it's still a very hard subject because there's, you know, you can't take their hope away, but you have to lead them into some reality of, you know, it's better to make plans in advance than to make them when you're so distraught and emotional. So, yes, uh, we've had, we have a lot of contact with our, our local funeral homes, and, and we actually call them directly sometimes for the patient if the patient asks us or, you know, to say, hey, you know, they're interested in talking with you, you know, uh, and, you know, can, you know, and, and so can you go to their home? Do you know? Do they need to come here? I mean, we're trying to figure out the easiest way for our patients to what we call it. You know, kind of mediating the system. You know, let us help you. You're going to have to make the decision. You know, uh, we can't recommend one funeral home or the other, but uh, we we do have our list of funeral homes. We also have the tools that funeral homes have given us. Uh, in fact, we use one that. Uh, that was developed by your corporation that has been very helpful in, in helping them walk that journey and looking at what they need to do and the questions. Um, I think one of the most important things that as a social worker is I want them to be able to have 
an uncomplicated grief after somebody passes. And um, in talking with them about funeral arrangements, funeral services, funeral homes, is uh, helping them to identify how they want to honor their loved one. If they don't have something that they do to honor them, later on they're going to have very complicated grief. You know, uh, it's just, you know, we've we're gotten into this real quick society and we don't take enough time to grieve. And so what, as social workers, we really focus on that, you know. Uh, and I think the funeral industry is really adjusting to to doing some of the non-traditional things to to make that service meaningful and to understand where they're coming from even if it even if it is a gravesite even if it's a cremation and a memorial they need to have a piece of something that they did something a, a ritual um because if it's not there grief gets complicated i couldn't agree more i spend a lot of time in funeral homes and Funeral directors are all the time telling me they, they see families do that. They they just want to go for the direct cremation. Sometimes they'll skip the viewing. You know, they won't have any of that stuff. And then they see them a few months later and, you know, there's there's all that regret. Yes, yes. And, and so that very much is what a social worker is talking with a family about. And, um, and... You know, I think, you know, as we develop more close relationships with funeral homes, you know, between hospice and funeral homes, uh, in that sense of drawing people, drawing our staff in to, to help facilitate more of those conversations. What do you think funeral homes can do to, to help make that a situation, that transition from, from hospice to the funeral home, what can funeral directors do to to make your job easier and to make the family's job easier? Uh, I think sometimes it is, um, sometimes it's more flexibility. You know, sometimes I know, like when we have a patient on our inpatient unit, which means they're very much at the end of life, the family's not wanting to leave that patient. They're not wanting to have to go across town uh, to a funeral home in case their patient might take or the loved one might take their last breath. So, you know, some flexibility where funeral directors are, uh, are you know, will, can make an appointment to come visit with a family, you know, where the family is, whether it is at home or whether it is on the unit. I think the, the that's kind of the direction I see things uh, facilitating more communication. Some people are just not very comfortable walking into such a formal setting and feel more comfortable talking in their own. Do you feel like uh, you have a relationship with at least some of the funeral homes that you feel good about when it's time when that fa when that family member is Absol passed? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I can say honestly, in all my years of working at Hendrick and in hospice, I have never had anybody complain about any funeral home. I feel, I, and I feel like I can pick up the phone and talk to anybody, and and. And express what uh, I think we're very fortunate here. I can't say that for hospices across the nation. I think Abilene is a unique community, but I think you know I think it's been a conscious effort to work together um, because we know 
at our hospice the significance of of having um, grief that's not complicated. And our funeral homes are very sensitive to that, and and they're very open to help to help you know. You know, as you know, end of life and death has no, um, you know, boundaries. I mean, it affects everybody. And, and, and I know people, you know, people are scared of the cost. And, and, and you know, and, and, and talking with them about, you know, picking out the most important things. But the more important thing is the ritual. It's the ritual of what you need to do so that you don't, you have something to hold on to. It's like Dr. Alan Wolfelt says, ceremony is what we have, what is what we do when we don't know what to do. Right. And, and, you know, and I do like a lot of things he said, and I think that's real important. You know, um, uh, you know, he's come to Abilene several times and I think that has helped because you see a lot of hospice people going to the workshops and, and, and learning more and, uh, you know, and he gives a lot of helpful tools and I know I used his tools and I know, um, you know, that some of the things that are coming from, uh, you know, the funeral I industry is trying to make this a more personal, individualized experience. Peg, in your experience, what are some of the goals that your patients express that they want to try to get done when, when in the, that brief time that they're with you? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, and and I'll, I'll first say patients and family goals are, are often very different. Oh. So the patient often's goal is, first of all, they don't want to be a burden to their family. That's kind of one of the first things. I don't want to be a burden to my family. And so we have to do a lot of education on, you know, burden versus love and, and, and accepting and graciousness. But, yeah, they, they, they don't want to be a burden, but their, their other goals, they don't want to suffer. They, they don't want to have pain. They want to pass peacefully. And so when we talk to them and they say that's goal, those are one things that we can say, well, you know, our goal is for you not to have pain. Our goal is for you to pass peacefully. And if they have, and then they said there's some, if they have end of life tasks or goals, then, you know, the social worker, when we ask that question, then I said, okay, well, these are the things I know we need to work on and, and we're going to work on them, you know, first, uh, some of it funeral arrangements, uh, legal arrangements, you know, durable power attorneys, medical power attorneys, some haven't written wills. So there's a, a short window of time to get some of that done. But uh, I think, you know, the most common thing that a patient will say is, I just don't want to burden other people. And, and it is a lot of education to say, you know, to help them redefine that um, they're not a burden. They to be gracious and let their family love them. Mm -hmm. Now, family's goals, um, they, they want to know that, that we are going to be there to help them. Uh, they want to make sure, this, too, that their loved one doesn't have pain or suffering. And, and, and they want to know how to communicate uh, to them that they're not a burden. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of the, the goals of pain and suffering managed are the same, but that, that struggle between burden and not burden is a arena that we work in a lot. I think that's what we end up seeing too a lot of times outside of hospice when, when a, when a, a family member is dying, 
um, they don't want to be a burden to their family, and that's often why they choose to go ahead and say, just just cremate me or just put me in a pine box. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, once again, I think, you know, we've become that quick fix society and, and you know, not understanding how important that ritual is or maybe that place to go. You know, um, my personal experience is, um, and I, I've shared this before, and I don't know if you want me to share it or not. Sure. But um, I lost my son, it'll be four years in um, September, and he was 25. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we did a, a non-traditional kind of service. We waited till all his friends could get into town, and, and we, had a, we, had, we did have a, a, a viewing, and we had a graveside. And it was a beautiful service. It was a beautiful, and all his friends were there and able to t tell stories about how Scott was their best friend. And it was so meaningful. It was so meaningful to 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 to, to think about. I needed to uh, help in realizing I needed more than three days. Mm -hmm. I needed longer. And for me, I go to that cemetery at every Sunday. I mean, that's what I need. That's how I grieve. I needed that place. Now, if, you know, and that's what I want people and even people who are making their own plans is you've got to think about your family. You've got to think about what, you know, what, where, how they're going to need to process this grief. And, and some people need places to go and, 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 and something tangible. And, and I think that's part of what, you know, as working through talking with family members or p people who are making their own funeral arrangements, is you need to look beyond what you think is going to be a quick fix, and and look at what your family's going to need because they're the ones that's living without you. And I, I very much want to promote someone thinking about that because it is it is the your survivors who need the rituals. That's a great point. Well, Peggy, thank you so much for visiting us today. Oh, thank um, you for having me. This has been uh, this has been very helpful for me. Uh, I didn't know very much about hospice prior prior to us meeting, so uh, I know it's going to be helpful to a lot of our listeners. So I'd like to thank you, and I hope to have you on again sometime soon. Uh, I'd be happy to come back anytime. Thank you. If you would like to reach out to us about this episode or this series, please visit us online at funeraldirectorslife.com forward slash FD Talks. There you can find information about this episode and submit any comments, suggestions, or feedback about our series. And we also welcome your ideas for future episodes. Join us next time on FD Talks as we explore ideas, insights, and solutions for serving families in a rapidly changing marketplace.